Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever and wherever you are tuning in today's podcast. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Bruce Rose, who is head of content for Live Group. Now, for those of you that are listening or watching and haven't heard of Live Group, they're a multi-award winning agency based out of London and are a team of smart, organized and, and sometimes funny people creating amazing experiences for some of the biggest brands that you'll have heard of around the globe. Now, today Bruce is here to talk to me about a term that they've coined, which is Events 2.0, which I find really interesting. Um, but Bruce, before we get into that and to start to frame that, can you give us a little bit back of your background history, how you got into the events industry, how you started working with Live Group and what your what your job looks like at the moment? What what is head of content? <laughs> yeah, very a very fair question. I, I think from from my perspective, for my sins, I didn't necessarily know what I was getting into when I got into the events industry, which was um it was some time ago. I I I'd come from a little bit of um advertising and had a bit of experience of that and i saw this job posting about this company looking for someone to work in their bid development team mm -hmm. uh, this was uh way back just before the financial crisis um and i thought yeah there's definitely not a giant economic collapse about to happen i'll apply for this job um got it and was really uh, i was one of those people that never thought of the events industry as an industry and I thought, oh, events happen, and surely they don't require much planning. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they're just in the background. And then I, one of the fortunate parts about being in business development is you have to understand the company that you're talking about. And you have to have, I, I, in my view, to do that job really well, you have to have a passion for what you're writing about and how you explain it to people. And so I got to just throw myself into the life group. And, and life group was always was always and has always been one of those companies that very much rewards people that take an interest and have a passion and I was very fortunate just to kind of spider through all the many different strands of the company and and essentially used the financial crisis which was a very very painful time for for a life group very painful time for a lot of people in the events industry to essentially grab more ability to, to impact events and and basically worked my way up from business development through some of the creative fields that we're doing um, i rebuilt our webcasting product and platform and um, because it was something that i was quite passionate about this was in the early quite formative days of esports and i was looking at that and saying well why do ours not look like that and what can we do there and and, and throughout all of that was always taking the view with clients that we should talk about what it is they're trying to do before we talk about the format because fighting the battles of, well, if you do a webcast, no one will come to the live event was, was one of those omnipresent things and trying to explain the purposes, et cetera, was a, was a core role of it. So I've had some hideous job titles. You can look through my employment history on LinkedIn to, to see some of the weirdness. Um, head of content is very much a nice one because I introduce myself to clients as my job is to listen to what you're trying to do and advise you on how to do it. And that, that comes from the kind of grand sense of what medium are we using, whether in the olden days, the pre pandemic days, whether it was something more traditional as we would say, or whether it's something a bit more digital, um, all the way through to talking to speakers and massaging them through the process of, of talking and how to talk and how to bed in key things. So it is, it is a very wide ranging role. It's something that suits me to a T. Um, and what it means in this time is an awful lot of conversations with the client and an awful lot of pulling them out of their comfort zones, um, which I find is is rewarding and sometimes maddening. Yeah. Well, there's there's, there's a lot in there, mate. And, and thank yeah. you for giving us that background. <laughs> it, it's interesting because our kind of like starts in the events industry are, are somewhat aligned. I also 
kind of fell into the events industry just before the financial crash as well on a, on a publication. So kind of like initially advertising and marketing and events kind of evaporated quite quickly, I think more because it was like, well, how can we throw an event for something if people are losing jobs? But what I learned from that financial crash, and I think maybe you might have experienced it the same, is how important events are at bringing people and bringing business and economy back out of that financial crash or that financial hardship. That's what I found anyway. I don't know whether it was the same for you. I think I think my learning was never never to want to be in a position again where the tail wags the dog. In mm. the, uh, for me, a sign of events coming back was a sign of economic recovery. But the fact that nothing was happening was was a sign of the pain. And I know that's mm. a pain that's felt right now. I have been walking into an events agency with nothing to do. And so you you work on the internal things. You work on what you can do to ensure that when a job does come in, you can deliver it. And And there was very much, I think that scarred the company in many ways because mm. it was so brutal. You know, the, the dirty term unprecedented in 2008 that that was it we'd never have had a crash like this and and there was a desire to never be in a situation whereby we didn't have an answer to something that meant that we couldn't perform an event we couldn't do something that was useful because fundamentally and, and this comes to i guess what i believe in general i i think we we often short sell events um, and we, we we talk about them in terms of the experiential aspect, and, and we can talk about them in terms of um, a moment in time and exclusivity. But fundamentally, it's about bringing people together. And that is a very important and magical thing, Assert, certainly against a backdrop of the the world we're seeing, let's say, in social media, where we have algorithms directing human behavior. Mm-hmm. The fact that events are this very human thing where people find um, acceptance with each other they talk they change views all of that is actually quite important and magical and necessary more necessary now than i think there's ever been and so there was a case of well if we can't sell what was the traditional event to a client in an economic term of economic crisis what can we sell and therefore what can we offer how does it drive its value and it turns out that some of those answers became applicable over 10 years later as we entered a new phase of unprecedented things happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think back to your point earlier that you made of, I think your own experience of events happen and, and they just kind of, they just happen and the undervaluing of the industry. Um, I think it's very clear now going into the future that, as an industry is our responsibility to showcase our value and the importance that we bring and how we do bring that human connection together in so many important ways. Yes, the industry right now might be in survival mode and we're doing our best when it comes to things like virtual events and and still connecting communities up. I think they are, for most, the only choice right now. But I think, you know, my hope is that they will become part and parcel and amplify back those physical events and that human connection that we'll have so i think that brings me nicely on to events 2.0 and i'm not going to say anything more on that what is events 2.0 bruce so events 2.0 is is a term that i think puts word to a different approach Um, and what we what we saw in in the past was that events were run by inertia 
in that you ran the event one way because it had always been run that way. And events almost became self-sustaining in that way from a content perspective. Um, and they favored certain types of people and they always had a venue element and they, they, there were certain parts of what you'd say is a typical event that you could, could expect. And the fact that there is an idea, if I say to people, what's your typical event? Everyone in our industry has a pretty good idea about that. And I think for most people, it's probably not that different. Um, and so events 2.0 is a term that basically said, well, what if, what if we just forget about everything that we knew other than how to run a good moment in time? And we start applying that to the work that we do with clients. So instead of saying to them, you know, how many delegates are you expecting? We start with that question of what is, what is it that you're trying to do? And then we can build a solution around that. And it requires two things. It requires us at an agency side being able to pull on a lot of different disciplines technologies um in certain instances uh, venue connections uh, a whole lot of consulting and creative thinking and from a client side it requires them to be able to be entirely free of what they've done in the past and be open to, to new ways of doing things now the barrier and something that that you've said in the in the pre-podcast chat was we've been live group has been talking about this for a long time in terms of pushing virtual pushing hybrid pushing different approaches um and we've had some clients that went for it but that was by and large the exception and not the rule and the reason for that was because there was there was felt there was no great desire to change things and then what has happened with this pandemic is it's just short-circuited the way that people think about the events that they run because they accept that things have to change and they're not necessarily sure how they need to change, but change is, is, is baked into asking for an event solution. So events 2.0 is, is this idea of, well, we start with what it is that you're trying to do and we build a solution around that. And we put so much more thought into things like content. We put every speaker under the microscope in terms of what they're trying to do, what the follow-ins are. We look at all the media in terms of what are we doing post-event in a pre-recorded format? What are the moments that are happening live? What are we doing in that post-event phase? Now, it then begins to change the definition of event because that term event has almost a, it comes back to the idea of the traditional event. Oh, it takes place over a few days, range of speakers, different stages. And it's when we tell clients that actually your event starts the moment you send out an invitation email. That's when it starts and it ends many, many months after you think the live bits end that begins to change perceptions. And so events 2.0 puts word to that. It, it puts more of an emphasis on content and objectives. Um, and it also is something that seeks to be far more diverse, far more welcoming and inclusive. To me then, as a publisher, it almost feels as if events 2.0 are a new mechanism and new media with the way to connect up a community around a niche or a company or even an idea and thought in the way that you utilize that entire journey to bring that entire communication piece together you're right events kind of seem to be very or events traditionally have been about bringing people together for a moment in time but now, you know, so many people are already exploring extending that lifespan out of the event. And then others that I'm talking to are thinking about it even further outside of that, of the medium of getting people up to that point of registration and mm. content replay and community engagement afterwards. It, it's, it's totally shifted in, in my head. So it, 
would I be right in saying it, it sounds to me like a total new mechanism of communication and, and connecting communities up? I think I think community becomes that key term in that maybe maybe in the future we're not in the business of running these live days. Maybe we're in the business of creating communities and creating them around certain concepts, ideas, beliefs, or all the way through to product launches. I mean, the way that people interact with brands has changed. And what is the shift in the experiential space of a product launch? Maybe one of the things you can tap into is your most passionate people, give those a voice and, and give them a way to communicate with others and hopefully transfer that passion. Now, what it is in essence is, is to take the best bits of what we did before and to take the best bits of what we're doing now and charting a route forward. And I, and I think that's the, that's, that's the key thing I'm trying to get across to fellows in the industry who aren't necessarily having the best time in that things will change, but they won't change back to the way that they were. And don't expect them to, because if you do, you're going to be quite sad with, with what pans out and how it pans out. Um, there is this idea that we have and we are living right now through something that is very groundbreaking. I mean, we, we've said unprecedented times so much the word has lost our many, but nothing like this has happened before in modern times. Now, obviously, you know, we can go back in the history books and find stuff, but this is our modern world. It's very interconnected. It's very different from 1918 and things like that. So this will have gigantic ramifications for how we approach our industry in the future and we have to create a new format for what that industry is and how it operates and what it looks like and, and that's what events 2.0 is and it is this idea of it's longer it it takes more time to plan it involves more risk from a client because i don't think you can create a community when you're doing hyper moderation and you're only letting certain people speak and you want to control every little last bit of it, you have to have a degree of freedom with the audience that you're trying to work with. So it's going to require bold steps from everyone. And that's why it's quite exciting. I think you can look at this environment and say, well, this is going to be horrible, or you can get excited by the possibilities that it presents. And I'm definitely in that latter camp, especially with what it means to the future audience makeup of events, who those people are and how they feel empowered. I, I, I agree with so many points that you've made there and maybe I'm going to switch some listeners off but as an industry I felt like we are absolute dinosaurs when it comes to innovation and utilising the power of technology to move our sector forward both in efficiency and connecting people up, offerings when it comes to marketing, sponsorship, ROI, pull through, content, you name it and and that's because you know I'm, I'm very much a technology person. I, I spend most of my time actually looking outside of our sector at technology. I don't, mm. I very rarely look at internally and go, wow, I'm amazed at that. I, I kind of go, okay, yeah, we're catching up. Yeah. And that's how it felt to me for so many years when I started my first journey of kind of reporting on technology. And, and you know, again, a decade ago, working with the live group on what you guys were doing at the time. But there seemed to be so much resistance to that change, so much like, well, why do we need to invest in this? Because we've got great events and it's mm. easy to put on the same event as last year. But what's really interesting to me is now that technology is allowing communities to come together online. And we are community curators. That's what we do. You know, events of any particular size, whether that be 30 people to 30,000 people, we are 
the custodians of that community and and people look to us as organizers to create content and support and network and all that kind of stuff and what's interesting to me is if that we don't innovate if we stay in that camp of let's just go back to how it was rather than we are here now where we are let's innovate let's absorb let's adopt let's embrace and move things forward i think if you're in that camp you'll be swallowed up by people that are willing to move that way and mm. your communities that you have built up over the last however many years in a physical form will go elsewhere because they can continue to engage with that community and people and notion and idea outside of that physical event yeah this is our industry's youtube moment yeah, um you when you look at that video production world, it always used to be where well, you had to be in the know and you had all the AV people that told you the way it should be done and it was always broadcast and you had to do X, Y, and Z. And then YouTube came along and overnight, a lot of people just started mucking around in their basements or on their computers. They started making stuff and it was a little rough and ready to begin with, but it's got better and better and better. And now you look at that world online, which, which often dwarfs what's happening in, in traditional spaces. And this is what the space that we're in now, that actually because the industry writ large, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to point the finger at the industry and say it's entirely the industry's fault because a lot of it has been led by clients and clients often wanted easy answers with low cost. And so the industry had to, had to offer what was available um, and, and gave those easy answers without necessarily putting the R&D money in and all those kind of things. I, it is too easy. It's too simplistic to point the finger at the industry. But... Nevertheless, a lot of agencies exist out there with very traditional mindsets and very set in their ways. And the idea of doing it a certain way, well, actually, all the tools that have been necessary to run virtual events, online events, and curate communities have become more and more accessible, cheaper, often free. And a load of people have said, well, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to teach myself. I'm going to get really good at it. And what we're going to see as we come out of the virtual only world is some of these people that have been running these virtual events will then decide, well, is it so hard if I book a venue now? Is it so hard if I start actually maybe bridging these two? I bet I could pick it up and I bet many of them will. And so it's all very well and think, well, if we return to normality, that's when we can start working again. Actually, I think those companies are going to be swallowed up by a lot of people in their basements who've been learning so much over the past few months and years and now ready to deploy it. So unless we treat this like our YouTube moment, then we're going to be in real trouble. Well, the, we won't, the industry won't, the industry will be fine. It'll just be full of people in one man, two man bands that are really innovative, really exciting, really fleet of foot. But if we can harness their energy, well, then we're onto something. Absolutely. I know, you know, it's funny you should mention YouTube. I've, I've mentioned content creators so much that are used to digital, used to community, used to building huge audience through the mediums of, digital video audio podcast whatever whatever medium you might want and they already have that community they already have that audience so for them to transition over into utilizing online events and then transition that audience into a physical environment that's going to be super straightforward and simple for them i'm surprised more haven't done it now but that being said I don't think they are the enemy. I don't think other people that mm. are going to rise and use technology. I think as an industry, we can all work together. And the benefit to me is it will make our industry stronger. It will put us more on the map of mainstream technology media, mainstream media, you know, just in terms of the way that other sectors then utilize agencies like live groups who really power their events and stuff. 
So I think it's a really interesting point. But there's there's more to it than just that. Like, there's some key benefits that I know that the live group have been really pushing for, for many, many, many years prior to the pandemic of why it's really good to go down this route. Things like inclusivity, accessibility of content, accessibility to speaker, I think is even really more interesting because back to your point earlier about the, favoring the same speakers, maybe that's because they were easier to get to the event or something, I don't know. Yeah, I think the the thing that gets me excited about the 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 time we're in now, um, which you know I I do know how churlish that sounds. I, I'm not trying to underpin a horrific human tragedy. I, I'm trying to look at it in the context of how it's applied to our industry, mm-hmm. and the fact that we've got rid of some evils because of what the environment that we're in now. And for me, making things that are more inclusive and diverse is is just key to that and that's the thing that makes me kind of get up in the morning think yeah we're onto something here and we're onto something that's good and i I think it applies both from an organizer and an audience's perspective and from an audience perspective the term diversity i'm more thinking about neurodiversity and i'm talking about those people for whom the idea of attending a physical event was the worst idea in the world and i know plenty of them people who who generally shun it and they shun it for the because you know they're in comfort that's who they are as people they're not they're not broken in any way. It's just not what they want. And for those people in the olden times, the events industry's response to those people is, well, don't come to the event. Mm. Um, and then eventually it became, well, come as an, you can watch the live stream. And the live stream was always significantly worse than watching, than being able to attend the event. Not, not in terms of the actions, but in terms of you'd only get some of the content, you'd mm-hmm. only get to, you, many times you wouldn't get to interact with speakers. You're often not provided with opportunities to maybe engage with sponsors in a way that you find comfortable. And this is like the WhatsApp conundrum. If someone calls me and I don't recognize the number, I, I oh, no, thank you. I don't want to talk to someone. Who wants to do that? A message is much more comfortable to me. And I'm quite an extroverted person. Mm-hmm. So imagining someone that's quite introverted and the idea of the only way that they can interact with an exhibitor as a sponsor is to walk up to a stand and strike up a conversation was just kind of a bit of blindside. So suddenly we're in an environment whereby if you are not the typical event attendee, you have a value proposition that really speaks to you and one that you feel that you're on level pegging. And so those audiences are brought in and you're completely right in terms of there is now no excuse not to have all kinds of speakers, all kinds of brains powering your event because the barriers to bringing those people online is zero. I mean, we, we've, we've done some work with the UN streaming speakers in from every single corner of the globe, often in trying technical conditions, but you know what? We've always managed to get them. And so if I was talking to a client now and, and, you know, they were presenting me with the same 10 old white dudes that have always been speaking on panels, I would have some pretty hard questions about why on earth can't you grab people because you can brief them in seconds, you can connect to them in seconds, you can have them talking in seconds. So this, this new kind of power that's at our fingertips to, to pull people in and get them talking to wider groups should be what we're really excited about and really interested by. And this, this also comes down to the element of safety and, um, and uh, sustainability. And I'll just touch on safety very briefly, um, but we have and are running events that are um, viewed in some parts of the world as different and dangerously different. So for example, an LGBTQIA conference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are places in the world where it's illegal to be gay. 
And if you want to take the risk of attending an event physically, that can put you in danger, real danger. And we can, we can maybe with this approach, bridge those people in and let voices that haven't been able to be heard for safety concerns, whether that's as attendees or speakers, be heard. And that's, that's exciting and that feels important to me right now. Uh, and then on the sustainability front, I mean, I don't want to ship from crisis to crisis, but we are in a climate crisis, mm -hmm. whether we want to face up to it or not. And, and not having a good enough answer for the travel that goes into events has been a, a kind of awkward part for the industry for a while. And suddenly we have an answer to that. And that, that kind of leads to the reshaping of what an event is in future, whereby the people that are attending physically probably have a very good reason for doing so and have a value that drives that, that can maybe answer the carbon cost of bringing them there. And then everyone else is getting the same experience, the same curated, interesting experience, but are attending digitally and therefore aren't bringing the same carbon debt that they would have ordinarily. So this is a huge part of shift. And it's, you know, the eventual part is you want to be in a part where you're green and you can look at carbon offsetting events, but the cost of carbon offsetting an event where 90% of your audience is digital is far easier and far more accessible than if everyone's attending in person from all over the world. I actually think that that will play a massive role in, I guess you can almost justify whatever the investment is in creating a great online experience, bringing people in, like you say, giving them access to speakers, being able to network, even if they're just sat behind a keyboard chatting to people on, like you say, on messaging and stuff like that through platforms. But the sustainability thing for me is 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 really important. We we do have such a big economic impact. We are we are part of the problem. I'm not saying we are the problem, but we are part mm. of the problem. And you know, it's really interesting. I know a lot of agencies have started to come together under ILO to to kind of combat that and come up with some agreed, I guess, conditions and measurement tools and things like that. But that's just part of the part of the industry. I think this really gives us a an opportunity to go, okay, is this hybrid? Is this virtual? What are the benefits? Does this play really into our corporate sustainability mantra? You know, does this really hit home? And actually, like you say, allow us to in effect change and, and measure that reduction and measure that impact. But let me ask you this, what are the drawbacks? Like we, at the moment we're talking about all the positives. Do you see any drawbacks or potential <clears throat> potholes along the way that we should be aware of as an industry and we should be able to overcome in terms of challenges and stuff i mean there absolutely are <laughs> you know if i was here saying yes it's all amazing you should all be doing this right now you know that would be lying to you all it there are so many considerations that we're going to have to bear in mind i think i think the first one that i'd want to tell the industry about is just be wary of the next wave of inertia because if i'm here saying about well events are in a place where it was run one year because it was the way that it was always been run. We're going to run into the exact same problem with virtual events in that people will just become devoted to them because of dogma as opposed to the actual rationale behind them. Mm -hmm. As strong as that rationale may be, but I'm already seeing kind of playbooks in terms of, well, this is the way virtual events are run, which is ludicrous because I would never be able to say an event, a way an event is run. And a virtual event is, in principle, the exact same thing. Each one is quite unique. Each one requires different approaches. Um, and depending on what you're trying to do, each one can form quite different kind of interesting shapes. So 
let's just be mindful of that. As soon as someone tells you this is the Bible for how to do X, Y, and Z, just always be a little bit concerned and, and maybe ask the question why. So we have to be mindful of that inertia. Um, the second thing that, that I always try and bear in mind in that my favorite place in the world that you're not me, this is maybe sound like a complete weirdo, but I'm, I'm okay with that. Everyone that knows me knows I'm a weirdo anyway. But my favorite place in the whole world is to go to an arrivals lounge at any airport okay. because it is this beautiful coalescence of humanity because you can sit there in a coffee shop. I'm not saying I go to airports to watch people, not saying it publicly at least. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I, there have been times where I've been picking my, my wife up from the airport and, and you, you know, you go to, there's always a coffee place nearby and I always arrive a little bit early. This is my one admittance of being a weirdo. Um, of course, not at the moment, it's pandemic. Um, and you sit there and you watch the sea of expectant faces and you see um, a sea of emotion from people like, oh, I, you know, they're, they're, they're clearly just vibrating almost with energy. Some people may be looking a bit morose and sad. And, and you see almost the whole range of human emotion. And then you watch as people begin to filter out of the arrivals bit and the moment of recognition and hugs. And, the, you know, this is this intrinsically human experience that can only happen with physical presence. And even the most introverted people I know have people that are very close and very special to them, mm -hmm. people for whom they never want to be fully shut off. There is a reason why loneliness is so damaging to human beings is because we are innately social creatures. And the virtual world only does not have a good answer to that. And that's okay. I don't, I don't think we should look at that as a key dramatic weakness, but we need to think about how we inject more humanity. You know, the two of you, talk, the two of you, the two of us talking on this, you know, this is a connection, it's a conversation, and it's still a little bit lacking from if we were meeting in person. And so, yeah. yeah, and we should own that. We should absolutely own that and explain that, yes, there are instances whereby people meeting face-to-face -face adds value and therefore sure should be drawn upon. I mean, the fact that even in the sustainability world, the COP conference that's happening next year now, um, but there'll be, there'll be an interim step at the end of this year, those people meet face to face. There's a real reason and value behind that, that personal meeting, even in terms of finding common grounds that, that just is necessary to us as humans. So there's, there's not a great answer to that. And, and we're, we're doing some more experimental stuff at the moment in terms of how to, to take something like that and apply it to an award ceremony. Okay. Because we've, we've been quite upfront in that it's probably one of the hardest things to do truly virtually, because there is something so much ex that goes into that experiential, that, that almost warm hug feeling that is so impossible to, to generate in a virtual sense. And so there are weaknesses. Um, I think for me, events 2.0 is where you begin to look at the strengths of both and mash them together and so that you you really do mitigate those weaknesses um and i guess the final key weakness for me uh, and, and the key consideration going forward because i think every weakness is just something to to be overcome so if, if we say inertia is going to be one and human connections another the third is a reliance on digital tools too much um and you know you can you can speak to our digital director. He will wow you with all the amazing possibilities of tech. I don't need to say this to you because you're very au fait with everything tech. And, and you know, to your point, it, it's that idea of, you know, you'd be looking at what's happening in the events industry and knowing that it was actually, you'd seen it previously two years ago, applied in a different industry, but, but that's fine. Um, but I can see a future where 
the events industry tries to chase something of the social media model and it's just a case of will the algorithms decide everything we're going to run this event year on year and we're going to do a b testing to see what people like to do and we're just going to black box all the decisions that goes into events and i can't think of any worse outcome mm -hmm. for me if, if i'm going to believe that events are important from a human connection point of view that has to extend into the planning of them you need a human braid tied into this and it's why live groups being so much more keen to push the consultancy level like we can generate an auto data report and we can hand it over and say and off you go and maybe in the future we can develop algorithms to draw some some inferences from that but for me you need someone that understands what the client was trying to do to actually analyze that present some findings and offer some routes going forward so i don't ever 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 want to lose the human touch in what we do as easy as the answers that that the digital data world will will seem to offer. I think we have to resist that because I have. I think we have to remember that we're dealing with people at all points. Uh, again, I have to agree with so many points. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned awards, and I have to agree that it's it's that visceral environment, isn't it, of winning or losing, unfortunately, yeah. and, and still drowning your sorrows or celebrating at the bar. But there's so many things that happen as part of the awards just and we're going through this challenge at the moment with the event technology awards i'm not mm. gonna lie you know every other part of our events and stuff we we, we we've got a, a really solid plan for that there's still this element of the the virtual awards because it has to go that way and how we how we still do that on a personal celebratory level because you don't really celebrate in isolation do you no. Doesn't it doesn't work like that? Where you always want somebody to celebrate with, whether that's your wife, your best mate, your work colleagues, whatever. And that's an, an interesting thing about awards that I never thought about when coming into it is people do bring their families to celebrate with them, even if yeah. it's a corporate gig. So I'd be really interested to see how you solve that or try and bring that human connection back into into awards going forward. I really uh, would. Uh, to to peel back the curtain, it's a lot about fun. And I know it seems so trite and such a like, you know, it's, it really is about, but it is. I think, I think awards, when they are in person, you can be a bit more austere and, mm -hmm. and, you know, grand. You, you look at your Oscars in terms of the, that, that utmost um, kind of, this is very serious business, even though they have a little bit of levity with the awards hosts. Um, and an answer to that is actually to go completely the opposite way and to have much more of a, gonzo fun feeling to them yeah. because for me uh this is gonna make me sound like a sore loser but let's say i'm up for an award and let's say it's a traditional award night and i'm sitting on my zoom call and the award nominations are coming up and i don't win i think oh crud right i'm why am i here i'll just disconnect whereas if i was at a physical award you'd be having that those conversations preventing you know, i've been to the event technology awards many times yeah. you know you come you you speak to people in your industry you find out what people are up to you talk to the people on your table you form relationship i mean i've i've often been more invested by the awards that other people on my table are up for than the ones that we are mm -hmm. because you want them to you know you make these connections you want them to succeed you get so invested in that then actually the whole night just kind of melds together and when it's done virtually, you're in this kind of isolation. So you need something to connect to that's not just the levity and the, oh, doesn't this live stream kind of look beautiful? You need people that are being willing to take things a little less than serious and, and maybe make themselves a little bit more vulnerable. And maybe, if, if we can't use the human element in terms of the, the, the physical presence, 
well, then maybe we need to overemphasize the human element in how we produce it. And maybe that's the approach. Now I say we're experimenting at the moment. And obviously you don't want to, you don't want to come to a client and say, this is our experimental approach to events. Are you happy to do it? So there's still a lot of work. Um, I, I don't envy people like yourself that are, that are facing up this challenge. Uh, I'll be there. Don't worry. I'll, I'll still come. I won't disconnect. I promise. I know I just say I would, but you know. <laughs> Bruce, all I'll say is I'm really upset that before this podcast, you hadn't come to me long before asking me if I wanted to experiment with the event technology awards. That's, That's very true. Yeah. That's fair. Maybe, That's there is, maybe there is somebody listening out there, watching out there that has got an awards on the horizon, Q4, maybe even Q1, and is really struggling with this. And, and if you are, get in touch with Bruce because it sounds like he's got, I love that idea of game show and, you know, fun environment, entertaining TV content watching. That's, that's what, that's what TV mm. world does for us. That's what Netflix does for us, doesn't it? It kind of entertains us. And that approach I can see absolutely working. I think there are some benefits to going virtual with awards. You know, one of the challenges again, because we host it in London every year is some of our entrants are from all around the world and some of their, staff community extended family can't actually participate even and, and we've never streamed well, the, the awards but you know maybe that's one of the major benefits as well is now that we can actually get those accolades and that celebration a, a lot further and a lot a lot wider um it's going to become another problem you know when it becomes hybrid it's like it will just we'll just wrap our heads around how to run a virtual awards and then it will be and how do you run a hybrid one well this is where that that brings me nicely onto what you think's coming next and that is one of the questions i've got to be for you on hybrid because i don't feel well we haven't we haven't had the chance to really truly deliver a good hybrid event right now like we can have events of up to 30 people does that really make sense to live stream that and do it virtually? Probably not so much. That's that's where face-to-face -face events really matter. What do you think hybrid events will look like then in the future once we can start organizing physical and layer on top all those all that knowledge and all that learning that we've had over the last eight months as an industry? So I think we're gonna we're gonna shift gradually into hybrid. I, I was really um, lucky that a week. A week before Boris uh, announced the the new six month waiting period, and essentially just stuck a knife in the back of the industry, um, that we were doing a kind of quasi hybrid event, in that we were going to a studio at a venue that we'd built with with a bit more of a buzz around it, and you, we'd done so many entirely remote virtual events, you'd kind of forgotten what that was like. You know, I wasn't I wasn't worried about my speakers' webcams because we had professional cameras and it's like, oh, I forgot how nice this was. Good audio with no noise. Wow, this is this is a revolution. And it, you know, it it reminded me of how powerful the, the physical space can be. Now, I don't think we're gonna be at a situation whereby I mean, the government could always prove me wrong. So I know this quote's gonna get thrown back at me in a few months' time, but I don't think we're going to be in an environment where they're going to announce, okay, from June 1st, events can happen again. I think it will be a graduated process. I think what will happen is if it's 30 people, they'll then become 60 people, maybe then become 100. And we'll have to shift around that in the events that we want to hybridize. But the, the biggest um, stopgap here will not be the clients or the industry. It will be the delegates. Yeah. Because they are going to make the value proposition of why they would attend physically. And until there is any sort of proven vaccine, and actually that made me sound like an anti-vax weirdo, I am very pro-vaccine, going to say that now. Um, don't at me. Um, 
but until there's a vaccine that that means that people feel safe meeting physically again the the constant value proposition people making right now is what is it worth if i get sick and for most people it's just well it's not worth anything why would i attend this event in person um even once we have a vaccine i think i still think that value proposition will come into play i mean if we're, if we're talking about what does the future of the office look like because people don't want to come into work because working from home turns out actually still works why won't people have those same conversations about the events that they attend physically? And so the value proposition we're going to need to make to those delegates needs to be powerful. If you attend in person, here are the benefits that you, you will gain. And we're going to have to be very comfortable as an industry that that value proposition is probably going to speak to those traditional delegate types, your extroverts, your people that are happy to muck in with big networking sessions and all of that. And that's okay. We just need to make sure that we're planning another event for the digital delegates and that that this is for me where it gets exciting and also a little bit troublesome with how uh how much work we're going to be have to doing with these future events and because the value expectations being set for for essentially less money per hour, man hour spent we're going to be running two events in one your 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 traditional event or your event your event 2.0 is going to have an agenda that works and offers powerful value to the physical attendees and it's going to have an, an element that works and offers a value proposition to the digital delegates. And there's going to be points where those two cross over and merge, and that's quite exciting and interesting. But unless you're putting as much effort into one as the other, you're treating one delegate type as a second-class delegate. And if we're talking about diversity and inclusion, you can't do that. I mean, this, this stretches to, to just accessibility in terms of additional needs. Captions on live streams. If you are deaf, you have as much right to watch a webinar as anyone else. And the barrier to that is a very simple tech and a bit of money because you have to pay people to do this, it mm -hmm. turns out. And I still see clients umming and ahhing about captions. And it's like, well, hold, hold the phone. Does this person not deserve to watch your event? Like, what, what are we saying there? And so we, we need to think really carefully. And any time we're, we're in an environment where someone is a second-class delegate in terms of access based on things entirely out of their control we need to address that quite sharply. So that's separate from having, you know, different ticket prices. And there is, there's going to be a really exciting future in terms of how, how people charge for this and what, are those, what is the value of the content? What is the value of the access? And how do we make it sustainable and ongoing? Those are really interesting and exciting conversations. Um, but if, if, you're, if you have one delegate standing in person or one delegate attending online and fundamentally they're the same delegate type, they need the same experience no matter things personal to them so that 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 for me is the battleground that's now kind of being laid out and it's just a case of making clients understand and making sure that the industry understands what we're dealing with um and not you know not kind of as, as taking it with um with a lack of severity because mm -hmm. for me if we, if we've got if i got five delegates that can't watch because of their different needs we've we've kind of failed and and that's 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 a real tragedy that we need to address so things are getting exciting um but we're gonna we're gonna we have to watch these pitfalls and we have to kind of maybe put aside our greater demons and and do the hard work up front and and make sure that this works for everyone i i agree especially on making it accessible to everybody i think one of the things that strikes me as the potential of most events not every event because the format and stuff but 
What about the value proposition being that actually that event moves around? You can still include everybody, everybody can still tune in, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in London. Maybe it can be in Milan one year or Miami the next. Mm. Connecting up that local community, giving that local community or accessible community the opportunity to come together, the rest of them to tune in and still get access to that great content. But for me, that's really attractive as a potential visiting delegate because all of a sudden I'm not going to the same venue that I go to every single year, eating the same catering. I can <laughs> actually then start looking at it as a business leisure activity and going, okay, well, I'm going to go to XY conference in Miami on Thursday and Friday, and then I'm going to stay there over the weekend and extend my stay. I did that actually at an event that I went to uh, last year for an industry event. Now, for me, that was a really cost-effective way to do it, but more so to that, it was a really clever way for me to do it around time availability. You know, would I have gone to Miami and taken a week out there and gone on holiday with my family? Absolutely, yes. But actually, I got to see a lot of what I wanted to see selfishly mm. in the two days that I spent post that event. And for me as an organizer, now having a hybrid event and a real true hybrid event, you can have that ability, you can still attract an audience and the destination becomes part of the attractive play. Um, and that's how you monetize that bit and, and connect up communities in different areas without having to alienate them. And they always be the ones that have to either tune in online or travel to your venue in London to participate. Yeah. I think that's one of the areas that I, I'm really interested to see if people develop hug and, hub and spoke or moving events that that travel around the world I don't regional voices matter mm -hmm. um i don't i know i'm preaching to the converse here adam but as a as a man as a northerner that lived in london for a very long time um the the idea that that certain voices weren't being heard was very much on my mind and we're in an environment where it, it both applies to audience types but also like you say hosts so for example even if we even if we kept it domestic even if we weren't thinking of, of international events, the difference of opinion I would get just by picking a few select counties across England, let alone Scotland, Ireland, mm -hmm. and Wales, um, that's, those are different conversations and different experiences and different views. And the fact that we can have a central broadcast location, even if it wasn't one that was assigned a region. And we, we've, done all, we've done some of these, which is essentially like your broadcast location is the basement of X. You just, it does, has no location, don't worry about it, but we're coming to these different regional places. And if, if the audience sizes limit right now is 30, well, that's fine. If you split things on a, on a division of 30, you can get a lot of different regions in. And then if you can push to them quite well, because, hey, the tech's quite easy, we can say, well, what do you think about there in Cheshire? And then we'll get the Cheshire view. And then what do you think about there in Yorkshire? And we'll get the Yorkshire view. And, and we can bring them in and then we can switch hosts to there and we can begin to just demolish this idea of a venue. And I, I, don't, I don't have a great um, answer right now for the venue space. It probably comes back to your one about weaknesses. Um, I think venues are going to have to adapt really intelligently. And that, that comes into both the way that they approach things like internet line higher costs mm -hmm. and how they begin to offer their rooms and how they begin to offer their spaces and what AV support they offer in terms of interconnectedness. You know, I, I've spoken to venues where I've said, well, we want to move a video feed here to a video feed in this room. They look at you like you've got 14 heads. That's going to need to change. I think, I think the industry will give itself a hard time. I, I do feel for the people on the venue side because I don't think there are a lot of easy answers there. I think there are complete restructures in terms of how they, they need to offer value.
I agree with you on some of that, especially, I mean, do not get me started on connectivity and <laughs> Wi-Fi costs. I've been campaigning this message for, for many, many years. And don't get me wrong, the venues have their point, CapEx, recuperation of costs, and everybody should be allowed to earn money. That's absolutely how it should be. There does become a point where you kind of, you know, it's the it's the noose or nothing and you kind of like, you choose. Um, I can only spend £1,200 on a five meg connection so many times before it begins to kill me. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But you know what? I don't feel so sorry for the venues on the whole because I actually think there's the potential for them to have more flexibility. You know, one of the things that we know that, that, that kind of kills venues is build and break. You know, when it comes to large exhibitions, they don't pop up overnight. They take time to build and break. But actually, smaller hybrid events, maybe that fills their capacity. And again, let's be honest about it. The bigger organizers are really going to screw down on square meter rates, whereas the smaller, medium-sized events, those venues will probably be able to get better value out of that actual venue hire and, and maybe attract again organizers from further afield with an offering of come, come, we support your hybrid event, come and host it in London, come and host it in Manchester. A shout out to one venue that I think have always approached this extremely well when it comes to technology connectivity, offering a really good offering is One Wimpole Street in London. Mm. They've always been like the bleeding edge of what they can offer. You know, they were first adopters of Slido, Catchboxes, all these kind of things that the 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 organizer could then utilize to power their event. And live streaming, I mean, cameras and everything, that's always been part of every room setup that they've got. Yeah. If venues follow that model in the right way i think they have every opportunity to actually get more value out of the higher space of their venue because mm. they they, be, they become less about the space and more about the service and yeah. back to your point earlier about people focusing way way too much on the platform my motto at the moment is SaaS needs to have a different meaning in our industry it should be software and a service mm. not software as a service because on the whole our industry requires more than just here's a platform they, re they require things like the live group offering ideas what's the objective well what if we approach it in this way forget about what if we're using zoom or this or that like how do what do you want to achieve and the mechanism in which we achieve that is Where, where's the humanity yeah. you know that's it that's the problem with software as a service you know I, I throw a platform at someone and say off you go make make your mistakes or i can say i'm going to teach you how to use this and how to use it best it, it's we, we've done the software as a service model. We trialed mm -hmm. it um, many, many years ago and it failed because it wasn't us because mm -hmm. we need someone to be sat there explaining things. And, and I think you're completely right. We, we, we are in a service industry, lean into the service element of it. We should, we should, we, we should like that. We should be putting these human beings. I mean, I've not met anyone in this industry that is not passionate and full of ideas and fundamentally like people driven and sometimes we shy away from that and we should just embrace it. Um, but I, I completely take a point about venues. Um, we've, we've had some conversations with certain venues that I can't name because NDAs are, it turns out, are a thing that exists. Um, but certainly from a consultancy from people approaching us saying, okay, well, when, when we can host, what do you need from us and what do you expect and how can we offer value to modern agencies? Something that, that, that our CEO, Toby, has talked about quite a lot is this is the return of the agency. And that's quite an exciting thing. And, and people are now asking for our advice and not to run events. Absolutely. Bruce, 
this conversation has been amazing and i think it could be t- definitely turn into one of those joe rogan podcasts where we, we, we keep <laughs> going. four hours and we'll talk about jujitsu at some point yeah absolutely mate or, or guns or drugs or whatever but i mean i think we've hit on so many points here and i know we've got a webinar uh co-hosted webinar with live group and event news coming up which will be kind of delving into this a little bit more peeling the curtain back a little bit but for anybody that's listening to this right now or if they're late to the game and they're kind of tuning in in a week, a month or whatever, and they hear what you're saying and, and back to that point, they, they've got events coming up and they're so challenged by the brief, they don't know which way to turn. How can they connect up with you personally? Where's the best place to, to, to reach out to you? Just appear at my house. I live at, no. Um, <laughs> so so li- LinkedIn's a good one. Um, uh, I'm Bruce Rose on LinkedIn head of content at Live Group. There's not too many Bruce Roses. That's okay. It's rose like the flower, very floral, like me. Um, or you just send me an email at bruce.rose at livegroup.co.uk. Um, I would say that uh, it's a little busy at the moment. Um, so I'll try and get back to you as soon as I can. Um, and I think my plea would be to anyone, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a potential client, you have a brief, wonderful. My sales, our sales team will absolutely love me for this. If you're someone in the industry that doesn't know what the hell to do right now and you're scared, you should also get in touch and maybe I can offer something of a route forward. It's not a promise. I don't know, but I, I can't, I can't pre- preach a message of diversity and inclusiveness and, and kind of humanity and supporting each other if I don't then offer that. And I know for so many people, it's a really scary time right now. So if you need something, even if it's just uh, we're trying to maybe run a virtual event and we don't have the foggiest and we think we're getting kind of run around by someone that maybe doesn't know what they're doing, let's, let's just chat and let's hopefully try and dig you out of that. Man after my own heart, I've been doing exactly the same. I think you, you're absolutely right. The industry, it's so important for us to pull together and help each other and not point fingers and all that kind of stuff because we we need an industry after this. And, and hmm. you're rightly so. If, if I help one person, you help another, and that turns into something long-term, then I will sleep well at night. And I, I'm, it sounds like you're the same. Bruce, thank you for coming on. Um, I'd love to get you back on in maybe another six months, 18 months, when 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 events 2.0 is no longer a term, it's just events and, mm. and we can talk about some of the things. I think it's really, I think we're on the verge of a really exciting explosion of change within our industry. We just need to actively embrace it, understand it, innovate and, and pull together and I think we'll, we'll be much, much stronger out of the back end of it. But thank you for coming on today and we'll get you on in the next one. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure.